I want to continue speaking from Psalm 34, where we left off last week. Psalm 34. I was talking to you about praise from a cave. And I guess you would call this praise from a cave part two as we conclude our thoughts on Psalm 34. So if you'll be turning there, we're going to focus primarily there in Psalm 34 and pick up uh, from the verse that we left off last week. But remember as you're turning there that in the life of David, good things are finally happening. Good things. And he gets to the strangest of places, which is the way the Lord works. You think, as Brother Luke has wonderfully put here with Peter and Jonah and Samson, you know, you think it's over with. But the Lord is mighty, and He has a way to bring deliverance and things in ways that we never expected. So just as a recap, remember how David comes to this cave. He's on the run from Saul, and he ran into the land of the enemy, and he almost died there. He had to act like an insane man scrabbling on the doors and looking up in the sky at, at nothing and spittle, spit, foaming at the mouth, coming down his beard. And he escapes. And it wasn't because he was a clever actor that he escaped. So he goes out of the land of the enemy and he was, in his mind, he's just lost. He doesn't know where to go or what to do. And when he comes out of the land of the enemy and comes to the cave Adulam, good things finally begin to happen First of all, he has inspiration from the Holy Spirit with three of the greatest psalms, three of the greatest distress psalms, 57, 142, and 34, 34, which is what we're looking at. He's reunited with his family. He preaches to a bunch of losers. Remember? They were in debt, they were in distress, and they were discontented. And these losers go on to become the national heroes of Israel. He provides for the safety of his family. He gets direction from the prophet of God. And he winds up making his home, or his temporary home, his encampment for a period of time in what I call the high forest of praise. The reason I say that is because Judah, which is David's tribe, which is where the land he, he is from and lives in in Bethlehem, Judah means praise. And under the direction of the Lord, the Lord sends David into a high forest that was most likely near the town of Keilah in the land of Judah. So he goes into this high forest in the land of praise. Judah meaning praise. But most importantly, remember, in the midst of the worst moment of his life, scrabbling on the doors, acting like a fool, like an insane man, he has an encounter with Jesus Christ. He did not know the name Jesus but he has an encounter with a pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. His mind is cleared in the cave. And he writes a plea, Psalm 57. He writes a personal prayer, Psalm 142. And he gives this public praise in Psalm 34. And let's look at verse 3. Very near where we left off. Remember who he's preaching to in this public praise. He's got these 400 men and his family and his brothers. And he's preaching to these discontent, in debt and distressed people. And he says, oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. You know, magnification is an interesting thing. You ever used a magnifying glass? Those are neat. We had this little thing that Sister Tracy got in the kids' science when they were smaller and these, these little device that had a light on it and a magnifying thing within it. You could cut the light on and look down in there and it would magnify. I've, I've spent hours 
trying to dig out a briar from my hand with that little magnifier one time. And it was, it's backwards when you look through it. So I had to figure out, you know, I don't know how the doctors do it if it's backwards. <laughs> I had to figure out how to move the opposite way to see, to get that briar out of my hand. It was so neat, though. You could magnify and light it up. And I still have that thing somewhere. But you understand, magnification does not make something bigger than what it is. It just appears to be bigger, right? So David is kind of almost irony here where he says, magnify the Lord. You know, view Him as something bigger than what He really is, which is impossible for the Lord. Now, on the other hand, if you magnify me, you're going to be disappointed. Because when we magnify sinners and we get up close and we see just you know, the, the warts and the pimples and the problems, you're going to be disenchanted. If we go around magnifying each other, we're going to be disappointed. But you can magnify the Lord to the nth degree because He is bigger than the magnification. But in your mind, see the perception of the Lord. And I'm telling you, child of grace, this is a side note, but it's worth mentioning that we're in a day and time when the Lord has been demagnified. He's weak. He's pleading. He can't get anything done. He can't save the sinner without the sinner doing something. And you think about how that demagnifies God. Oh, his hands are tied and he just can't do anything for me. So why would we think that this demagnified God could do anything for us when we get in the bind? I'm telling you, child of God, let's view God as David did. Let's magnify him. Let's amplify what we think about God because you can just keep that going on into eternity. He has saved you from your sins. You did nothing in that. He did everything, and you can magnify Him and rely upon Him when you get in a jam. You've never been in the jam that David was in. I hope not. I think David had the Lord magnified whenever he faced Goliath, right? There was no limit to the size of God. He had magnified God, and He delivered the nation from Goliath. But now He's gone down to the Philistines, back to the land of the enemy, and He has demagnified God. You know, the Lord's just not going to help me here. Now He's back to magnifying God. Is that not how we are? It's like a roller coaster, isn't it? We're up, we're down. You know, we're in, we're out. You know, we, we, that's just how we are as sinners. David was the same way. He says, magnify God with me. Notice he's got a crowd here that he's preaching to. And let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. You know, there's an old saying that goes like this. Sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you ever intended to pay. That's the way sin does. And that's what David has experienced here. He's gone his way. He's paid the toll for the sin that he's committed. And he's wound up looking like a fool in front of the enemy. But notice he says, I sought the Lord. I searched for the Lord. And he heard me and delivered me. This word delivered right here is interesting. One of the commentators that I read about this said, it's a full colored word, which means it has a lot of meaning and richness to it. It's abounding in strength and vitality. It means to snatch away. And it's the same word that David used when he stood before Saul and he described to Saul how he had snatched away or delivered the lamb, lambs out of the mouth of the lion and out of the mouth of the bear. Don't you know David identified with this word? In the same way, a much greater way, David had delivered those lambs out of the mouth of the lion and the mouth of the bear. And here he, like a lamb, has been delivered out of the mouth of the lion, the Philistines. He's been delivered. He's been snatched away from certain defeat. It's the act of rescuing something out of a beast's mouth. That's what the word means. 
He says, this poor man cried. This is verse 6. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. The same word right there, to snatch away out of the mouth of a beast. To sweep the field in battle. So you see, here we have where David was at the absolute lowest point of his life. Don't tell me that you can't, we can't identify with this, being at low points. You know, there was an old saying, another old saying, where, you know, if, if you get to the end of the rope, just tie a knot in it and hang on. <laughs> and that's, that's cute, but, you know, it really doesn't help me practically. But we're talking about places where you're past the rope. You know, there's no possibility of tying a knot in the end of the rope in David's situation. Have you ever been there? You know, you're just free-falling. You, know, you don't have a rope anymore. This is what he's talking about right here. Times whenever there's just nowhere to look but to the Lord. And that's exactly what David did. This is for people at the absolute low point in life. You see, David's protection was real. And though it was invisible to others, I believe David saw it without a doubt. He says, the angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him. The angel of the Lord, as we said, is a pre-incarnation appearance of Jesus Christ. You think about the wrestler that Jacob encountered in the middle of the night, who he wrestled with all night. That was a pre-incarnation appearance of Jesus. You think about the captain of the Lord of hosts that appeared to one of the patriarchs of the Old Testament there who was going to go and fight the battle of the Lord, the captain of the Lord of hosts. And you think about the fourth man that appeared in the fire to the three Hebrew children in the days of Daniel. Now, can you get much further beyond free-falling there? There was no rope left. There was no knot to tie in the rope. And they were free-falling literally into the fire where they were cast into the fire and were going to burn up. But the Lord was the fourth man in the fire. You see that? You can't count out the Lord. The idea here where it says the angel of the Lord encampeth round about. It makes me think of the old wagon trains when they would circle them up you know, for protection when they would be attacked. In the imagery, it's not a wagon train, but it is an encampment of tents circled around and walled around so there was protection and there was fellowship within inside those tents, within inside the circle. People there, family and friends and employees and such that were safe to interact with. That's the image that's given here. And David saw the angel of the Lord. He saw him encamping round about him when he was down there in the land of the Philistines. This is also the same phrase that's used in 2 Kings 6 and 17, you know, where Elisha was out there and he'd been surrounded in the area of Dothan and the servant comes out and he says, Master, what are we going to do? And Elisha didn't break a sweat, didn't lose his cool. The enemy army had completely surrounded them and he said, show him. And the Lord opened the eyes of the servant and he looked up in the sky and he could see the armies of God and the chariots of God round about surrounding the enemy army. You see, that's the vision that we need to, by faith, believe in. The Lord loves you. The Lord is with you at all times. It doesn't matter if the rope is burned up and there's no knot to tie and you're just free falling into nothing like a Samson or a Jonah or a Peter and you think it's over and there's no help. There's no assistance. The Lord is still on His throne. And David says in verse 8, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Now that's kind of funny, isn't it? O taste and see. That really doesn't go together. That's like me saying, listen, I smell something. Y'all get that? It doesn't really go together. Oh, taste and see. But the sentiment, the teaching there that he's giving is that the taste carries quite an effect to sort of open up your eyes. You ever been that way when you've tasted something that was really good? In a sense, I was kind of hoping mom would be at Zion this morning. 
It made me think about her cinnamon cake. Because mom learned to cook the cinnamon cake from Grandmother Springer. And, you know, it's just something different about mom's cinnamon. I'm not saying it's not good. But there's a different taste to mom's cinnamon cake than Grandmother Springer's cinnamon cake. Now, it's not because the ingredients are different. And it's not because there's any less love in it. I'm towing this line really carefully, mom. This is like the thing you never want to do. You know, say to your wife, well, my mom's cooking was better than yours. This is, this is one of those areas you want to be real careful when you get off into it. So I've wondered through the years, what is the difference? I've actually sat and pondered that. When I would take a bite of that cake, you know, there's just something different about it. And I figured it out. It's the taste of memory. You hear me? The taste that I had when I tasted Grandmother Springer's cake, it was different because she was a different person than my mom. And there was a taste to it. And when I think about it, I remember my grandmother Springer. Now, I remember her when I taste mom's cake, but there's no real difference in the taste. But I taste a memory when I eat that cake. And it takes me back. Why does this taste different? It's because it reminds me of my grandmother who has gone on. It would taste exactly like mom's if I sat down and ate one of grandmother Springer's cinnamon cakes. But it's just got a different memory attached to it. Y'all see that? David is saying, taste the Lord. He's saying to a crowd of grumblers, he's saying to a crowd of discontented, in debt, and distressed 400 men who are ready to raise an army and go and fight against Saul. He's saying to them, taste and see that the Lord is good. And I'm telling you, child of grace, if David could taste the angel of the Lord, the pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ, if he could taste that in the midst of that terrible circumstance, don't tell me that you can't. The question is, are we looking to him? See, David had quit looking for the Lord. He quit asking the Lord things. David says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. This is coming. It almost would make you think, well, David's a hypocrite because he wasn't trusting in the Lord running off to the land of the enemy. He wasn't trusting in the Lord fleeing from Saul. But this testimony to the mercy and grace of God. The Lord's not through with David. And he says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. I want you to experience this. Have a personal experience with Jesus. You see, he's worshiping. In this cave with these men surrounding him and his family. And worship, you know, it ought to be constant. Worship ought to be something that is constant with us. And it ought to be something that's social. It should be something social where we come together, we sing praises, we pray to the Lord, we preach the truth of God, you know, before the people of God and before the Lord. And it should be magnetic. You know, I've said for years that the best tool of evangelism for the church of God are satisfied church members who love the truth and love worship and love fellowship. That's the best evangelism that you could get. You don't need to form a committee and you don't need to form a board and you don't need to kind of come up with some other idea about how can we reach these people. Just be happy in the Lord and taste and see that the Lord is good. This is one man who went down to the land of the enemy and almost was killed down there. He was almost killed. The angel of the Lord Jesus Christ delivered him and he's come back and he's now infecting he is infecting 400 plus people with his zeal and with his repentance you see that it should be magnetizing it should draw others to the truth you think about your life and the things that you do and the things that you interact with. Maybe it's the humdrum of work or maybe it's just the ho-hum of this or that. You know, this is just old so-and-so. If you get infected with the zeal of God, things begin to change. They will change. That's the way God intended it to be. Be infected with the zeal of God. Be infected with David's zeal. Oh, taste and see yourself. 
Don't just walk on my zeal. These men didn't, listen, these men went on to be great heroes. They were infected by the zeal of David. And by the way, they didn't form an army and go and try to take over Saul. They were not rebels. David kept them in check. He became a captain over them. He led them and he kept them in check. We're not against Saul. We're just going to play avoidance of him for now. See? David wanted them to taste the same thing that he was tasting. Let me tell you something, child of God. Listen carefully. There's certain things that you can only taste when you're in the fire. I'm not saying go jump in a fire or pray for drama to come along or issues to come along. I don't wish for fires, trials. I don't wish for those things, but they will come. Jesus said in this life, you shall have tribulation. This goes right along with what I'm telling you. But he said, be of good cheer. How can I be of good cheer in the fire? Because Jesus said, I have overcome the world. You have a different experience in the fire. The fires will come. I just pray that you don't bring them on yourself. The fires will come to you. And in the fire, ask the three Hebrew children when you get to heaven. They had a different experience in the fire, the literal fire. They saw the Lord Jesus Christ in the fire. The king came to the edge of the fire and he looked down in there. He said, did we not cast three men down there? They said, yes, O king. And he said, there's four men walking around down there. And even the king was infected by the zeal of the three Hebrew children in the fire because he said the fourth one looks like the son of God. And it was the son of God, you see. You'll have an experience with the son of God in the fire that we just don't have when we're not in the fire. If, here's a big if, if we're using our faith, if we're looking to the Lord. You see, David, when he went down there, he was not. But the Lord is so good and so merciful and so kind that he came to him anyway. That's how good our God is. Even when we're not looking at for him, he comes to us. But after he came to David, David recognized it wasn't my clever acting, my foolish acting that delivered me. It was the angel of the Lord that encamped round about me. And he says in verse 9, Oh, fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. See, he's talking to the crowd again. He's calling these 400 distressed rebels here. He's calling these men that were discontented and they were in debt. He's calling them saints. He says, oh, fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. These men were wanting to get out of debt. These men were wanting to get out from under their stresses. These men were wanting a change in the government. But David said, the young lions lack and they suffer, but they that seek the Lord, you shall not want of any good thing. I guess it kind of comes to a definition of what any good thing is, right? <laughs> that might be a matter of perspective for some people. David's talking any good spiritual thing. Come, you children, hearken unto me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Now, how can this guy, you say, now David's really a hypocrite. You know, he's been down there acting like a fool in front of the foreign king, the enemy king, and now he's trying to teach people. That's what repentance does for us. You can actually go on and teach the ways of the Lord by how you repent, by how you respond. And David is in full-blown repentance right here. He says, I will teach you the fear of the Lord. I'm sure this sounded good to those that were distressed and in debt and struggling like they were. And look at verse 12 of Psalm 34. He says this, What man is he that desireth life? And loveth many days that he may see good. This is an interesting change from the man who just said to Jonathan a few days before, there's one step between me and death. He said, you want to see good days? You want to see long life? Keep thy tongue from evil. Keep thy lips from speaking guile. Depart from evil. Do good. Seek peace and pursue it. 
He gives instruction to these men. Don't you know that sounded good to them? He was solidifying these men to follow him and disciple themselves in his ways as their king. And then he goes on in verse 14. Depart from evil, do good, seek peace, pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are open unto their cry. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry and the Lord heareth and delivereth them out of all their troubles. Same word delivereth right there. Don't you know this was wonderful news to the men in the cave who were distressed and broken hearted and had broken spirits? He says in verse 18, The Lord is nigh to them that have a broken heart and save as such as be of a contrite spirit. The word nigh right there is associated with a near kinsman. It's the same thing that Naomi said to Ruth over in the book of Ruth when she said there is a near kinsman. It was good news for these men to hear, you have a near kinsman. And he is with you and he is beside you even though your heart is broken and even though you have a contrite spirit. You know, when your heart is broken, you think, nobody hears me. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. God is far from me. But that is when the Lord is near you and beside you. Just as Samson, in the midst of that prison house, grinding like a slave, the Lord was there with him. And he finally recognized it. Broken hearts think that God is far, but He's actually near. The word broken right there is connected with grain. It is an image of where the grain is placed on the threshing floor. They broke the seed out of the hull and it would be crushed. Or the millstone where they would grind the grain in the millstone and it would crush the seed out of the hull. That's what it means when he says broken. But you see the brokenness, if you're looking at it the right way, it's bringing the seed out of the hull. Where it says such as be of a contrite spirit. It's interesting that that word means, contrite means to be beaten out as as if a hammer would just take and beat out that which was a metal and just continue to flatten the metal until it's just completely flat. That's what contrite means right there. And then the metal becomes useful when it gets to a certain point that it's been beat down and it's shapeable, you see? It can be shaped by the blacksmith easier. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. And here in verse 20, we come kind of to the end game of Psalm 34 where he says, He keepeth all his bones... He keepeth all his bones. Now you know as well as I do that that was a direct application, an immediate application to David because David was afraid that they were going to crush every one of his bones when he was down there in the land of the enemy. But the Lord kept all of his bones and brought him out. You remember David had that experience with the angel of the Lord with Jesus Christ who he didn't know his name yet, but he had the experience with Jesus Christ down there and being delivered. And here is another reference to Jesus Christ. By the way, Psalm 22 is by far the most quoted or most referenced to the Messiah. But Psalm 34 is a pretty close second or third. And so this is a reference to the Messiah. Because on the cross in John, the 19th chapter, after Jesus had cried out those wonderful, glorious words of, It is finished. It says that the men came to see if the two thieves and Jesus were dead. And they found that Jesus was dead. They were going to break the legs of all three of them. And I'm telling you, all of the armies of heaven, if they had gone and raised back to strike the legs of Jesus, because the Lord said, a bone of him shall not be broken. The Lord said, my lamb, the lamb of God, shall not have a broken bone within him. Even with the nails that pierced his hands and pierced his feet and the spear that goes into the side here, not a bone of him was broken. So there's a greater meaning here that David doesn't even realize, you see. Not a bone of him would be broken. And it says in John the 19th chapter, these things were done that the Scripture should be fulfilled. A bone of him should not be broken. A thousand years before, David is prophesying about the Messiah. And we bring our thoughts to a close here. 
It says that in, back in 1 Samuel 22 that David went to Moab, put his family so they'd be safe with the king of Moab. By the way, that was a long distant relative, by the way. You know, David's great-grandmother came from Moab. And then it says that the prophet Gad in 1 Samuel 22 and 5 came to David and said, Abide not in the cave, not, not in the hold anymore, but depart and get into the land of Judah. David departed and came into the forest of Hereth. I'm going to leave you with this, this um, psalm that also was born from the cave. And it's Psalm 57. And verse 1 says, Be merciful unto me, O God. Be merciful unto me, for my soul trusteth in thee. Yea, in the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge until these calamities be overpassed. That was one of the psalms that was born from David in the cave. And we hope to say some more about that next time as we see David going into the forest of Hareth, into the high forest that was near Keilah, up in the mountains. This was a, a mountain forest. Very hard to reach, very easy to defend, very much like the cave. And we can safely say that David is trusting in the shadow of God's wing now. You see that? As he comes to the cave, he's in the shadow of God's wing. As he goes up into the mountain, protects his family, goes up into the mountain to the high forest, the high and hidden forest of praise, he's trusting in the shadow of God's wings. Now, his troubles are not over. And child of God, if the Lord brings you out from free falling where you have no rope to tie a knot into, let me tell you, your troubles are not over until you leave this world. You're going to have trouble again and again. But may we take the example of David and trust in the shadow of the wings of God. He's now back under the shadow of the Almighty and not out here running around like a crazy man causing all kinds of trouble for himself. May that be our encouragement in these dark times. If there's one or more here that would like to follow the Lord and trust in the shadow of His wings, we give you that opportunity as we stand and sing some song.